0: Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Megan Davis. Jersey Overseas Aid has so far donated £262,000 to Friends of Ukraine EOD to deliver bomb and mine disposal training. This week, I'm speaking to Ben Renfrey and Ulyana Yurenko. Ben is a founder of Friends of Ukraine EOD, and Ulyana is the head technical translator and interpreter of MATKosovo Kosovo, where the training is delivered. They tell me about the team of women, the first women in Ukraine to be allowed to be involved in bomb disposal. If you'd like to support their work, you can donate to the Bailiff's Ukraine Appeal. Details of that can be found at sidebyside.je.
1: Uh, well, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, my name is Ulyana Yurenko. I'm the head technical interpreter at Kosovo and uh, sending you this good morning all the way from Ukraine.
2: My name is Ben Remfrey, Um, I'm the Managing Director of PCM and Matt Kosovo, also the founder of Friends of Ukraine EOD, Um, yeah it's a delight to be in Jersey as always, every time I come to Jersey the sun's shining and everybody's so welcoming so it's lovely to be here.
0: Um, And where are you based in Ukraine and in Guernsey, is that right?
2: Um, Well the main training thrust of everything we've been doing is in Kosovo. uh, PCM and MAC Kosovo have a globally renowned um, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Training School, which trains people to international mine action standards, uh, which is mainly the standard that's used for humanitarian mine clearance and bomb disposal around the world outside of militaries. So we've been using that facility over the last 18 months to train Ukrainians, uh, many of whom have obviously travelled uh, over about 48, um, 72 hours from different areas of Ukraine and been, been released to come and train at the school. Um, and Jersey's been uh, critical in, in providing funding to enable that. Uh, Uliana and I have been working together for those 18 months and she's been uh, a critical component in translating those uh, training materials across into Ukrainian to, to make sure that the training is assimilated and delivered in the best possible way.
0: Um, so, so could you give me a bit of a rundown of what Friends of Ukraine O.D. and Matt Kosovo do?
2: Sure. Um, the idea of Friends of Ukraine O.D. initially was after the um, Russian Federation's illegal invasion of Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, myself and one other, a guy called Paul Rigg from the UK, we came up with an idea of getting equipment together because our involvement with Ukraine... Uh, both of our involvements with Ukraine came years before the the current invasion. However, the war in Ukraine has been going on since 2014, so we've been supporting Ukraine in providing equipment. After the invasion, we stepped that up. A lot of manufacturers wanted to give mine detectors, bomb locators, body armour, EOD kits and all of this good stuff to Ukraine, and they wanted to go through people that knew where that stuff needed to go. So our role was to... Um, make sure that stuff got to the right end users. And then people started offering uh, funds um, to assist and buy more equipment. So we thought it would be good and right to set up a, a charity with d- independent directors uh, and with a bank where everything could be audited and, and the funds could would be expended the way they should be. Uh, and that's what we did in Guernsey initially with Friends of Ukraine uh, there. Since we've now opened Friends of Ukraine Jersey, um, because a lot of our support comes from Jersey and I think it's only right. So that that's how things started in the early days um, and then we decided it would be good to start training people to international mine action standards and when we uh, first embarked on that, the first roadblock we came up against was uh, the presidential decree in Ukraine that said men of fighting age could not leave Ukraine, which is perfectly understandable. Um, so we found a way to get ladies out of Ukraine and, and into Kosovo. And we really started something unique in that respect. And the ladies, we, we got the original eight, who are now called the Great Eight. We got them into Kosovo. Uh, and you can imagine um, how they were feeling, you know, leaving their country after it had been recently invaded, leaving their families, um, and then to undergo intense training uh, over five weeks in the, in the entry-level bomb disposal um, program. Uh, and they were fantastic. Uliana was uh, critical in, in delivering that tra- initial training. And since then, we've trained many, many people. But those were the first ladies who have ever been allowed to do bomb disposal in Ukraine. Before uh, this intervention, females were not permitted to be bomb disposal operators. Since the Great Eight, females are now very much involved in what they call in Ukraine Sapper which is bomb disposal, and and some of the girls have gone on to great heights. They've gone back to their organisations, been promoted rapidly through them, not because of um, any, I suppose, um, reverse discrimination, or whatever you want to call it, just because they're bloody good at what they do. Um, And and we're very proud of those girls, and and we're in contact with them all the time. Certainly Uliana is in in weekly contact with them. And since that time, we've we've had... uh, Close to 200 Ukrainians come through the school, um, and they've been a a pleasure to work with. Um, But the the reason we've used the facilities we've had is because they're set up to deliver the type of training we need to do and to do it efficiently and to get them back to Ukraine as soon as possible.
0: So when they go back to Ukraine, it's not one organisation, but it's sort of everyone goes back to a different organisation, is that right?
2: It's multi-agency. Okay. Um, So from the outset, uh, even with the great eight, the first eight ladies, they came from the Halo Trust, from the Federation of D Miners, from the National Guard of Ukraine, from the state emergency services, um, and and we trained them all together as if they were just one unit. And I think that's always very good because um, working with people from different agencies, um... and and working with them all together on a technical course sort of binds them together as a team. So interoperability later on in Ukraine is then fostered in terms of the training we've done. And certainly with the Jersey Overseas Aid Funding, again, it's benefited multiple agencies like the the police, police EOD units, uh, the state emergency services of Ukraine, who do most of the humanitarian um, clear-ups. Uh, the state special transport services who look after um, transport infrastructure um, and national guard uh, and some of the national agencies um, like um, the ukrainian d-miners association so multiple agencies have benefited from the training we've been conducting
1: and i would probably like to add it here that it is very interesting to see how uh, like all these trainees and depending on which uh, agencies they're, they're working for the work in various areas of Ukraine and therefore they have a different experience of uh, explosive ordnance disposals, but because we still maintain this communication amongst ourselves, we still have all these group chats where they share their experience, where they always share something unique that they find and they uh, have to come up with a creative way, way of disposing that item or study it very thoroughly and then they share that experience and that is the experience shared pretty much horizontally amongst the, these organizations so I, th- I find that is one of the most amazing outputs of uh, that training.
0: Do you have any examples of the different sort of applications that people have uh, had um, different experiences that People have had in the field.
1: Mm, well, I would say that if you, you if you're talking about the north of Ukraine that was deoccupied in spring last summer, most of the time the people are dealing with uh, over there uh, is like items of uh, like artillery projectiles. Whereas if you're talking about the south that was occupied for uh, almost eight months. This is where the Russians had plenty of time to uh, dig trenches and then put a lot of mines, and there's a lot of like the actual mine clearance in the South, and they keep exchanging uh, that experience all the time. But it it is also interesting how uh, within that training they uh, uh, get this insight into uh, the... new approaches towards uh, the disposals and every now and then they keep trying that new approach uh, in their real life and they keep getting back to the instructors at the training center and asking so exactly how do you think I should place that particular uh, means of disposal on that particular uh, bump and they get uh, the advice and then they try it and it actually works so when you see that that something new that you offered uh, to the trainees is actually helping them in their day-to-day professional life, that is very inspiring.
2: Yeah, and with, with Ukraine and with the courses that we've been running, and Oliana can, can wax miracle on this, is when we do live demolitions aspects of the training, we, we try to do more with the Ukrainians and we try to show them more the improvised means of disposing of items because a lot of these items that have been dropped or placed or fired have failed to function. Normally in conflict, 15% of everything uh, that's fired fails to function by design. In Ukraine, it's 60%. That's because of the poor manufacture, the long storage of a lot of these Russian munitions. But it doesn't mean they're safe. It means they're even more dangerous. So it's really a no touch and no move. Um, So a lot of the time on our courses, we teach Um, destruction of items in situ um, by using either uh, manufactured or um, weapons we call it that you can dispose of a a bomb by having it locally manufactured and improvised and that's very important um, because you know our students need to know that they they need to go back and they need to operate safely they don't need to be a casualty And they should never do anything above their level of competency and that's very important as well. And that happens all around the world. People turn up, they've got EOD on their arm and then somebody expects them to deal with a device that they're not familiar with and they've not been trained to deal with. So, you know, we try and engender and we try and force home that don't do anything you're uh, unfamiliar with. And as uh, Uliana just expressed, you know, there's always somebody on the end of a chat. You know, it's 2023, 2024 soon. There's lots of people out there that can help you. And what we also say in in bomb disposal around the world is there's no experts. You know, an ex there has been, a spurt as a drip under pressure. Um, anybody that calls himself an expert, steer well clear of them. You know, we're all learning something new every day. And certainly in Ukraine, it's the tapestry. If you look at day one, Today 180, today 400, everything changes in terms of some of the items that are being used there, new weapons, improvised explosive devices, booby traps, it's it's all evolving across the, the length of the conflict and it's getting far more dangerous
0: good to know because we've been referring to you as experts sort of casually in conversation wow i've got these undisposable experts coming in so stop doing that <laughs> uh, don't don't
2: worry uh, we we call ourselves subject matter experts um and a lot of the senior subject matter experts we we have one of which is a jerseyman by the way uh peter le obe um yeah they're there, uh, but they're always learning as well. You know, Peter's 70, he's been around the world for many, many years, been in three different militaries, uh, former ammunition technician, you know, got his OBE for his work in Afghanistan when the Taliban were in power. You know, the guy is is a bit of a legend, but if you asked him if he was an expert, he'd say no, he wasn't. So so anybody that says they are, then still well clear.
0: Um, you spoke to sort of some of what you include in the training could you run me through um, how the training works who delivers it, how long it takes and sort of what's on the curriculum if you will
2: Sure Um, and I'll hand over to Leona in a moment because she's she's very much involved in the development of the delivery Um, the programmes that we have uh, are tried and tested and uh, are um, part of the International Mine Action Standard, that it was developed 30 years ago. So every level of competency that we teach is as per a, a rigorous programme, okay, which is updated regularly as things evolve, as I said before, with the tapestry. The delivery of that training then is, has to be done systematically. Um, and the development of that curriculum, if you like, um, and those courses had to be translated from English... Into Ukrainian, Because there's no point in standing up and, and talking English to, to a group of people, very few of whom understand it. Yes, the training is delivered in English, but then it's delivered again in Ukrainian. So that's why the courses are slightly longer. And uh, I'll hand over to Ulyana, who who's been very much more involved in the delivery of training than I have.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, the first portion of the uh, course is... Uh, very heavy theory but we need to give this to the students so that when they are there in the field they know what they're dealing with or at least they know how like what they should pay attention to to be able to identify that item afterwards Uh, and yes the course is longer so that we uh, can like incorporate that translation piece because yes some students do understand english but the others not uh, entirely uh, therefore there was a, this huge huge job of interpreting but also every now and then we all the instructors and interpreters we keep thinking of how like yes we have to deliver um, all the points that uh, the international mine action standards require to train uh, an EOD operator but also we understand that, the situation in Ukraine right now is outrageous in terms of all the types of items from all over the world that are uh, contaminating my country right now at at the moment, unfortunately. So that requires uh, each and every one of us, including the instructors, including the interpreters, to learn more and more every day. And I absolutely agree what Ben said before, that you cannot say that you are an expert at any point of time in uh, the bomb disposal sphere. You have to study every single day.
0: Um, could you tell me about the students who get involved, your students? Um, is there a particular profile? What kind of person gets involved in bomb disposal?
1: Well, I would say that uh, it is interesting to see how the uh, explosive ordinance disposal for civilians uh, uh, in case of ukraine it started from the east and it is actually pretty understandable because that invasion of 2014 started from the east and the interesting uh, part was especially for the female civilian uh deminers at that point they were motivated to just make their own hometown safer for their own families and friends and uh, children and so on. So for us, it all started from the East, uh, but now everywhere across Ukraine, because we understand the level of the contamination, you can see that people respond in every way you can. And uh, um, humanitarian action is something you can do in the de-occupied area, so it's a safer area in terms of you don't normally expect uh, any more uh, direct war fighting in that area. Everywhere in Ukraine, unfortunately, you every every Ukrainian unfortunately can get targeted by the cruise missile. and That's uh, our reality right now. But uh, um, I humanitarian action is something every civilian can do, and that's what's happening uh, in Ukraine right now. So, pretty much as long as you have the desire, you can at least try yourself uh, in that sphere, you can at least try to apply for that course, and most of the time, Ukrainians especially, from what I've seen, they... uh, show a great dedication to the cause uh, and a great understanding of why this is important and it is also important to emphasize that uh, the instructors in Kosovo understand what Ukrainians are going through and they explain it uh, in a very compassionate way. So they provide all the technical details but they also understand where Ukrainians are coming from and therefore um, they can provide a better insight on how th- the mine action is going on and will be going on uh, in Ukraine in the future.
2: And the demographic um, again, I'll, I'll sort of wax a little bit lyrical after what Olena expressed. There is, it's interesting. You've got uh, former primary school teachers, you've got midwives, you've got police officers, you've got soldiers. You've got people that are involved in the media. You've got a, a surfing instructor fr- who was in um, Sri Lanka that came back to Ukraine to to get involved. So, you know, it, it really covers everybody. Um, we had uh, a delegation last month in Kosovo of Ukrainians who who want us to look at developing a school in Kiev as well, a civil defence organisation. And they're, they're all dedicated to what they're doing. And one of them was a trainee cosmonaut before the the uh the russian federation started to split up you know the, sorry the former soviet union split up so there's people from every walk of life you know when if you imagine um the united kingdom in world war 2 when our backs were to the wall in 1939 1940 everybody had to get involved in, including god bless her our, our former queen uh, it became a mechanic so everybody's got to do something to support the cause And what's very noticeable for me and my visits in Ukraine is everybody's so dedicated. Defeat is not an option.
1: Definitely.
0: Um, Could you tell me a bit about how each of you got involved
2: personally? All right, I'll go first as I'm the oldest. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: I joined the British Army when I was 16. Um, I always like to say it's either the army or prison. My mother would certainly say that. So I joined the Army very young, and I went into the Junior Leaders Regiment Royal Engineers. I finished my education there. I joined the regular Army, uh, became an engineer. That's where I started to deal with with explosives. uh, Spent most of my time with the commando forces. Got out, and then um, very much got involved in diving uh, in oil and gas. But then um, when various Gulf Wars came up and the the rest of it, then I, I started doing bomb disposal. Again, and I've been involved in it in one way or another now s- for the last thirty years.
1: Well, I was involved in military interpretation since two thousand eighteen. That was basically like again, every Ukrainian, every responsible citizen, I would say, uh, has to think of how you can contribute to the defense of your country. So, because of that, knowing, like, understanding both languages, and hopefully having. Uh, a good enough technical mindset uh, then this is this was my way of responding to the Russian invasion of uh, 2014 uh, and I was mainly involved with um, actually various uh, branches of uh, the military, so that was artillery sniping and so on and it was interesting how uh, when Ben invited me uh, to Mat Kosovo to start uh, working on the EOD uh, course translations uh, I realized so I know that side of like the artillery side of things and how you how you operate the artillery but I was never thinking of the opposite side when some of the munitions failed to function as designed and then it, it it cannot just stay there you have to do something about it and then when you start thinking about everything that you have to do to prepare for the disposal, and there's a lot of stages before that, then you understand that, my God, that one munition can and will take an EOD operator a lot of time and a lot of resources to be disposed of.
0: Um, And what's sort of a day in the life like for you now?
1: Uh, long to say <laughs> <laughs> the, the first. Yeah. Uh, well, generally, it is like my main responsibility is to organize the interpreters and make sure that all the materials are translated and the translation is being uh, updated. And uh, at any point of time, the students know that they have someone to rely on and someone uh, who will help them in any situation that they face during the training and beyond that. But uh, the, 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 the kind of backstage side of things is that I help them with everything, starting from like liaising with their headquarters and making sure they get all the paperwork needed to get through the border because that, no, that norm of uh, like, men of fighting age cannot go through the border is still there. So to get them through the border, there's a lot of bureaucratic... Uh, operations you need to uh, conduct and this is what I do all the, all, the, all their logistics and then making sure they are back home uh, safe as well and uh, I do find it part of my responsibility to keep track uh, of everyone that everyone's safe uh, and and Thank God, uh, and thank the training so far. All, this, all the trainees that we've had on our courses in, uh, at Mount Kosovo are all safe and sound, and uh, I'm sure it will stay that way.
2: My job is far less glamorous than, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I get to chase people for more funding, more support. Um, I do quite a lot of travel. Uh, I make sure that I speak to a lot of the people that, you know, at the... Uh, higher unit level in Ukraine to a degree, whereas actually Oliana speaks out of it, to people at a very much higher level than I do as well um, for example I, I, I have to go to Croatia in October there's a, a massive international meeting uh, about support for Ukraine one of the major components of that is clearance of Ukraine of unexploded ordnance um, so I'll be going there because uh, it looks like the Croatian government will be throwing some support our way as well so You've always got to watch where where things are evolving and who's supporting um, because what we need to do is we need to keep feeding the machine in terms of providing more training, building the capacity in Ukraine because the the task ahead in Ukraine is is very, very long-term. Therefore, uh, building a capability that's safe, that clears land 100% and safely and hands it back to the populations, and clearing infrastructure and other things needs to be done properly. And what we need to do is keep the people alive, make sure they've got the right equipment, make sure they're well trained.
0: Um, you mentioned it a bit there, but obviously the path ahead is long. How do you um, keep mo- pe- how do you keep people motivated to donate and to help you? Um, when there might be some compassion fatigue going on, and I imagine that could get worse in the future.
2: No, you, you used a very good term there, compassion fatigue, and it's very important in the early days to do as much as you can and to build as quickly as you can, because you know that something else is going to happen somewhere else on the planet and, and people's attention is going to be drawn away and... When you've got a prolonged conflict like we have in Ukraine, you know, Ukraine didn't fold in three days, it's not going to unfold in three or thirty years, Um, this will go on to a stage where at some stage there will be um, a cessation of hostilities. When that happens, the job of um, clearing Ukraine and keeping the funding coming will have to come from the friendlier nation's governments and from their aid departments, from their budgets. Um, and, and that, that includes someone like Jersey as well know, I mean, Jersey has a finite um, budget each and every year um, but I know from working with Jersey Overseas Aid over the last year how dynamic and forward thinking they are so some governments will fall by the wayside others will get committed and, and get more involved Um, The UN hopefully will start channelling more resources into Ukraine because they've only really just started there. Ukrainians aren't particularly keen on the UN because they're they're fighting a war at the moment and they need to continue that. NATO needs to keep being involved in terms of providing training and equipment and support. So, you know, it's not any one um, donor line in terms of, of, of the effort that's required going forward. It's going to take many years and... We've just got to keep engaged, but more importantly, the, the Ukrainians, because the Ukrainians, they they don't depend on you; they depend on themselves. They're very uh, they're very well educated. They're very dynamic. Um, they're very good at improvising. You know, I've been to some of the places in in Ukraine and seen them improvising all sorts of different things, both to um, defeat Russia and, and also to to obviously clear the land. So they're going to need support, but they're not going to depend on the international community long-term because they'll get on with the job in hand themselves.
0: Um, And Eliana, you mentioned that there's quite a lot of dangers involved, both in sort of the day-to-day of the people you train, but also in the travel. Could you sort of talk me through some of the dangers that are involved?
1: Uh, Pardon? So during the travel or while you're in Ukraine? All of it. Well, I think the largest uh, danger for those explosive ordinance disposal operators uh, in Ukraine is that they actually have to take the time if they want to be safe and they want to keep their lives, their team members' lives and the, uh, the, the public safety as well. You have to accept that uh, the humanitarian mine action is a slow process, but if you do uh, follow uh, the procedures, there's a very small chance of uh, uh, ever getting injured. Uh, So, something I observe uh, might put uh, EOD operators in danger is that when, especially women, because they are generally more uh, compassionate and they understand that, like, these other Ukrainians, they want to return back to their normal life, or as normal life as you can get in Ukraine right now. Uh, so they want to help more, uh, but that means they want to either work faster or work longer and then get more exhausted uh, and burnt out. And this is when the mistakes pop up. And you just need to like be absolutely uh positive and confident that w- the way that you do, even though it's maybe a little slower than you would want to do, but you have to keep doing it in that particular manner to make sure that you can, in the long term, you can uh, clear more areas, but not rush right now. Even though people are asking all deminers, uh, miners, UD operators to come faster, go check their field, go check their backyard, and so on. But you have to accept that you can do only as much as you can and not rush. uh, Think uh, systematically, work systematically, and then everything will be okay. But that is probably the largest uh, danger.
2: And the golden rule is, you know, with what we do, uh, fatigue and complacency are the biggest killers. Um, And also trying to work above your level of competency and the golden rule is don't do that, refer back um you know it's not worth doing something that's potentially going to kill you and other people therefore step back and think about it and oliana said something very poignant then that women tend to think more about what they're doing and and um, what the results of it might might be men are, tend to be a little bit more testosterone fueled and think that people are looking at them and that they'll they'll be seen as something smaller than they are if they don't do the job in hand where the women will step back and say no this isn't right we need to do this um that for therefore i think it makes them very good eod operators
0: yeah. that's something i wanted to come back to actually obviously you're training a lot of women and that's um sort of a, a new development have you noticed any advantages or disadvantages uh in having female eod uh i was going to say experts but operators let's call call them operators
2: Operators. yeah I I suppose I covered it there uh, before Um, women tend to be safer and I I think that word sums it up men are less safe than women generally Um, therefore I think it makes them better operators I'll put my hands up there I've got a beard I might (laughs) I might get stones thrown at me (laughs) within the industry for that but I've actually said it for a number of years you know, in the past in, in the industry and in mine action, women were involved in mine risk education, you know, teaching kids about the dangers of mines or the administrative side. And certainly 10 years ago, there was no females anywhere on the planet, really, that were involved in doing hands-on bomb disposal. They might have been in demining teams. They may have been a searcher. You know, these days, you know, even on our scheduled courses that, that Matt Kosovo run, um, there is always women on those courses, and they will go on to be managers or operators in the field in, in UN programs in any one of the 60-odd countries around the world. But, you know, fundamentally now in Ukraine, women are very much part of the, 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 the toolkit in terms of being operators uh, and being competent.
1: From my experience with all these groups that we've had over the last uh, 18 months, uh, what I noticed is what, uh, like, actually in support of what Ben just said before, but uh, men generally, like, they see uh, an item of an explosive ordinance and they just walk almost straight to it and they just want to dispose of it right there and then get it and get rid of it, that's it. Whereas women generally tend to see a general picture they start asking oh by the way where where is, the, is there a school around is there a kindergarten around is there a hospital around and then it appears that yes there are all these uh, like key infrastructure points uh, or there is like underground water that might get contaminated so mo- women generally tend to get grasp that entire picture and then when you actually have that entire picture you can come up with a better plan then maybe you don't need to dispose all of it right now maybe you can just partially dispose of it and then it will be safer for everyone so that is something that i noticed uh, among the groups within the 18 month and that is the role that is still standing
2: yeah very much the bigger picture with women men tend to be far more focused on as Uliana said, the item rather than the effects of the item.
0: Um, also wanted to come back to maybe more one for Uliana. How do you find that this has impacted your personal life, your family, and how, to, how do you speak to them about what you do?
1: Well, my parents are, well, my father is a retired military, so he uh, he was actually uh, deployed as uh, like a member of a, a peacekeeping contingent uh, to Kosovo. So he is actually very proud of me being in Kosovo and being involved with uh, the explosive ordinance uh, disposal. Uh, my mother is obviously a lot more worried and every time uh, I call her, she keeps asking me, did you join the bomb disposal unit already? Are you already disposing of the items? Uh, uh, but more of like because of the worry that she uh, has. But um, definitely that affects the personal life and that's for about every Ukrainian, regardless of uh, the gender. Again, every responsible Ukrainian, as I would rather say, if you want to help defend your country right now, you have to sacrifice a good portion of your life, uh, of your personal uh, life, and you have to bear with the fact that you have to be at a distance with uh, your loved ones. And uh, a lot of my effort goes into talking to uh, my The people that I love and telling them that I'm still there for them uh, even though I'm far away but uh, I need to do this right now Uh, and then once at least we get to the victory I I will be feeling a bit more comfortable about stepping back a bit and then uh, spending more time with uh, the family but right now it is that distance and thankfully my family understand That but yeah, it takes a lot of effort to, um, I don't know, to feed that all these relationships and make sure that I'm there for them. And I'm sure that's the same for everyone involved in uh, EOD and in defending Ukraine altogether.
0: Are your family all in Ukraine at the moment?
1: Uh, yes, they are right now. We're all staying there, and not a single, uh, not a piece of intent to move anywhere outside Ukraine.
0: Uh, Did you have any um, big successes or anything that you're particularly proud of or a student maybe who you're particularly proud of?
1: Um, Yes I'd probably say two students. One uh, is a female student and she joined um, this explosive ordinance disposal uh, sphere uh, only after the invasion but I loved uh, that train of thought that she had so she knew how like uh, EOD operators work. She was an accountant before and she with the EOD unit. And then since the invasion, she realized, I understand that better than many men that she saw in that unit, with all due respect, of course, to everyone. But she's like, I can do that. I'm smart enough. I can do this. And she is actually promoting really fast right now and she can actually argue on certain technical specifications of various items. And she keeps uh, sending us uh, pictures from the areas that were deoccupied and they're so heavily contaminated. But uh, it's just so inspiring how, again, she was one of those people who got back to the instructors and asking for advice of how disposing of that item in a way that it doesn't contaminate uh, the rest of the area. Uh, So that is one very inspiring example. And another uh, inspiring uh, example was when one of the new operators with a very long experience in Ukraine, but the Ukrainian approach that he's been taught many years ago was different and maybe less safe, I'd say. Uh, So after, like normally when you work with those people who have been in this sphere for a very long time, it's very difficult difficult to convince them uh, into new approaches, modern approaches, safer approaches. And he was one of those people who kept arguing all the time. But after the course, when he again got back to me and asked me uh, to help him get some of um, these... um, like assets that help you dispose the items safer and with less impact on the environment. So he got back to me and asked me whether I can help him get those resources. And uh, he wanted to share that with his unit as well. And I was, wow, well, that is is an achievement. If that person who is very respected among the O.D. uh, community in Ukraine uh, does ask us for advice and support and does incorporate those new methods in ukraine that is worth being proud of
0: (laughs) yeah that's amazing um just wanted to pick up on something that has come up a few times that your students can always come back to you ask for advice ask for help is that sort of a group chat you've got how does that work
1: uh, yes, we still. So for like to coordinate each group, uh, I uh, always create like a group uh, chat. So all these group chat ch- group chats are still uh, there. They are active, and this is where uh, all the students uh, share again some of the unique items uh, they find on, uh, on like on their territory, or. More often than not, they are actually asking for advice from the rest of the group, so maybe you guys have seen that before, and maybe you know what it is and how to deal with it
0: That's amazing um and but is there anything in particular that you're proud of? any big successes or a student maybe
2: Well, I've been involved in this industry for many years, you know I've been involved in over four continents um <coughs> I suppose the the thing that sticks out for me still is the first group of ukrainians that we got um and we managed to get to Kosovo and, and provide the training uh with and and one of the examples Liana spoke about um marina um and so, some of the other girls were were amazing um it was just their commitment their focus they were so resilient they were learning something completely foreign to them, and they took it on board. Even, you know, in those early days as well, we weren't perfect in, in the way that we'd actually set the courses up for them. In fact, during the during the course of that very first course, we had to extend it by a week because, you know, the chief instructor at the time, Arta Tugani, and Oleana, had decided that we needed to give them more demolitions experience because, they, you know, the, these ladies had never dealt with the, you know, live demolitions before, so we did. Um, and we learnt a lot from them. So, I suppose the groups that came after them benefited from the Great Eight. Um, and that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah,
0: where are the Great Eight now?
2: They're all over, all where over there? Ukraine, but they're all in Ukraine and they're all involved in, uh, and they all came on the basic course. And most of them, I, I think seven or six of the eight have returned to do the next intermediate level. Um, and they've all gone on to senior operations levels within their organisations because, yes, they were really valuable as, as operators. But to, to have a good group of operators, you've got to have good operations managers. Um, so most of them have gone into the operations side. So not only have they done what the guys have done as operators, they're now replacing some of the guys as the operations managers and making sure the right assets are deployed on the right tasks, um, and that's key to making sure everybody's kept safe and, and the land's cleared as, as soon as it possibly can, but efficiently. And that's another thing that we teach in our courses is the integrated approach and doing what we do efficiently uh, because it enables the right assets to go to the right areas to do the, the task that's required. Whether it's an airdrop weapon, whether it's a minefield, whether it's conventional munitions on a battle area, or, or sub-munitions or cluster munitions, you've got to make sure you get the right assets there to deal with the tasks. And and the ladies that we took through initially as a great eight, um, they're all there. And, and some, two of the girls, actually, that I'm going to call them ladies, because I might get in trouble calling them girls mm-hmm. like David Beckham did, I think, in the, in the football. The ladies. And... Um, two of them we haven't had back on the level three yet but they're coming back because their organisations see them as too valuable to let go f- for another four weeks of training because you know they've really made a difference since they got back to their organization so we're very proud of that
0: yeah it sounds like they're doing really well mm. um, you mentioned earlier as well that you're incorporating in jersey could you just speak to that what difference that makes
2: Well, we've had so much support from Jersey, um, and even in the early days, uh, being a former soldier, I have a a soldier friend here who used to be um, the officer commanding the Jersey Field Squadron, Charlie Martell, and um, Charlie actually served in my old commando unit as well, after my time, he's a bit younger than I am, so we became friends, um, and then Jersey Overseas Aid started showing an interest in what we were doing with friends of Ukraine, EOD, um and therefore it, you know it's a natural process for us because a lot of support is coming from jersey and not from guernsey jersey overseas aid have a much better setup than we have ours is very i would say antiquated um and uh, stifled whereas jerseys is far more dynamic and far uh, far better than forward moving and Jersey gets involved. You know, if, if, you, if you look at Guernsey Overseas Aid, they'll, they'll give somebody some money to do something, but it will generally go to uh, a larger fund where there's no real accountability. Whereas Jersey Overseas Aid are direct and they're accountable. And I'll give you an example, you know, with what we've been doing with Jersey Overseas Aid in Ukraine. Um, we've had uh, Simon Boas, uh, the director, come to, uh, to Kosovo and spend a week... In, indeed including going on the ranges with the students and seeing them do the demolitions and that was on the level three course so a lot of the Great eight were back on that course and simon wanted to see that happening and but it's great that jersey is also able to ward it what is happening on the ground and they know where the funds go mm-hmm. so for me um I, I wouldn't call myself a Guernseyman. i live in guernsey my father's a guernseyman but i was born abroad and lived all over the world I, I'm I'm a real convert. I'm I'm a big fan of Jersey now. Um I've played rugby against Jersey and <laughs> I've had bits broken playing against Jersey, but you know the, the rivalry between the two islands I think is can be a positive. Um but we sh- we should learn from each other and we should work far more together. The, the the fact that Jersey and Guernsey don't have a joined up approach on things, I think you know Guernsey could learn a lot from Jersey and likewise. But I think uh, if you look at Jersey Overseas Aid against Guernsey Overseas Aid, it's chalk and cheese.
0: Is that something you'd like to see more of, a more joined-up approach?
2: Um. Oh, we'd love to see it, but it's unlikely to happen, isn't it? Um, but uh, going back to why we're setting up and why Friends of Ukraine EOD has been set up in Jersey as a Jersey charity now, is fundamentally because it's more dynamic and more forward thinking and it's going to achieve far more much more so that's that's uh, that's that's it from my my side really
0: yeah um is there anything else that you'd like people to know oh, that goes for both of you anything you'd like to add anything you'd like people to know
2: well i'd just like to say myself thank you to jersey for everything that jersey's done because there's probably a hundred operators now in Ukraine doing the job that they're doing, freeing up land, making it safer. Each operator will save many lives. That's, that's no doubt about it. Whether they're in an operational management side, or whether they're fundamentally on the ground dealing with the items that, themselves, they are dealing with items that could kill one or more people. And those, could, those people could be children, they could be elderly doesn't matter the demographic is massive when people are returning to two areas that they've left because of the conflict so you know if, if you the multiples of those 100 people that have benefited from jersey overseas aid funding have saved many many lives
1: yeah, I would l- also like to say that I do truly appreciate the support from uh, Jersey Overseas Eight because uh, that support, especially the first group, the Great Eight, uh, they... Like that, that was the support given to the very dedicated people, and who, with all their hearts and minds, uh, uh, they are absolutely dedicated to clearing their country and even sharing that professional experience with other contaminated countries in the future. And uh, the like building these horizontal links between the agencies in Ukraine was actually really important. And the last time that I was in Ukraine, I actually got to meet quite a few uh, EOD operators trained by, with the support of the Jersey Overseas uh, Aid. And that was just amazing to travel across the country and see them all in the working environment and keeping developing and uh, making our country safer and safer every day.
2: And that includes Mikilev. Lev, where... Uh Jersey, I think, has a twinning arrangement going on. Uh, We've done work with McClelland and we've had some of the National Guard on on the courses and hopefully that's something that will continue. Amazing.
0: Thank you very much. I could (laughs) listen to you talk all day, but uh, you've (laughs) got to go. So, uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank Mm you. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. For more on all the latest news, head to baileywikexpress.com and you can listen to all our audio content on our website or wherever you get your podcasts.